welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Uh, my name is Michael Fraud. I am the Assistant Program Director for Drisha. Thrilled to uh, welcome everyone back for the final installment of our class, the Kapara of Yom Kippur, with Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zukir. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Zukir is a Drisha faculty member as well as a postdoctoral fellow in Jewish studies at McGill University. Uh, he's a recent graduate of Yale's PhD program in religious studies and of Yeshiva University's Kolal Elyon. Uh, this year has been addressing the nature of the atonement that occurs on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, we've talked about Corbano, we've talked about how, whether it still atones today, how it changes over history, the role of the different rituals through time. And today's session, in order to conclude, we'll be drawing together the material that we have been studying throughout the first four parts of this series, drawing some conclusions about what the sources of atonement are for Yom Kippur, uh, whether it stems primarily from people or from God, whether the answer to that question changes throughout the course of history, a few other things. Thank you so much, uh, Michael, as always. And uh, as Michael said, the goal here is to draw from a few different shirim in this series, but really get, get at the core question here, which is, at the end of the day, what is the source of the kapara, of the atonement of Yom Kippur? And how, how does this, uh, how does it work? How do we understand it? Uh, how does the system function? Um, so, you know, we started off by talking about some of the psukim and biblical, the, you know, the biblical verses and, and where the atonement comes from there and who's doing the act of kapara. And we had a few different views. Uh, we thought we looked at some themes, some general themes of Yom Kippur and why the day of Yom Kippur is chosen for that. We looked at the relationship between, you know, uh, between the day of Yom Kippur as an atoning agent and tshuva as an atoning agent and what that says more broadly about uh, a human initiative versus divine initiative in the atonement process. And then we spent a couple of shirim looking at uh, the difference between temple, uh, temple era Yom Kippur uh, atonement through sacrifices, maybe through the day in some role, maybe not, uh, and how that changes, what shifts when we move from temple era sacrifice to post-temple, uh, sorry, temple era atonement of Yom Kippur to post-temple atonement of Yom Kippur, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of different views as to what changed and how it changed. The goal today is to bring these things together and say, like, at the end of the day, where does the kapara of Yom Kippur come from? What's its ultimate, uh, what's its ultimate source? And, uh, so at, you should all have the handout um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the chat box. And uh, certainly uh, anyone who's comfortable to is, is invited to share, uh, uh, you know, to go on screen so we can, we can learn together. But let's, let's jump right in. So I think the, the question we had about Shuva versus the day of Yom Kippur, uh, that, that, that's, you know, those provide a couple of clear answers to our question. If we were to say, you know, okay, Yom Kippur atones, but how does it really atone? At the end of the day, what's the real source? So uh, we have two extreme formulations from that discussion that we can start with here. One is the idea that it's totally the grace of God. There's really no human involvement at all. Even the day of Yom Kippur itself is almost an afterthought. The point is there needs to be some time, some moment of divine grace, of divine atonement that's totally undeserved, that just happens, that's brought down from heaven. And uh, we needed to have that at some point. It happens to be, you know, Yom Kippur became that day. If it was a different day, we'd probably call that day Yom Kippur too. But there's nothing inherent about Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur isn't really doing much on its own. It's just the locus for God to, uh, you know, apply this atonement. So that view, I think we can, we can glean that or something close to that from source one here, from the Chinuch and his description of the mitzvah of Avodos Yom Kippur, the mitzvah of the temple service of Yom Kippur. He talks also about, uh, about uh, the, the atonement process and how that works. So he writes, Misharshi mitzvah, and everyone should have this. If you don't have this, um, you know, let uh, me or Michael know. Misharshi mitzvah, the, the, the roots, the basis of this mitzvah, of doing the avodah, you know, doing the temple service. It's one, it's an act of divine chesed, of divine loving kindness and grace for humanity, for God's creations. In addition to whatever two they're doing, there should be a day for atonement for all sins. If you just have the uh, sin sort of pile up, uh, you know, throughout the year, from year to year, you 
by the time you get to a two, three, a few years, there'll be enough sins added up that the world would be deserving of destruction, meaning the world is unsustainable in a purely just society, in a, in a world governed purely by justice with no grace, with no freebies, with no atonement, no getting off the hook for free. And what would happen is people's sins would just, would just pile up until God had to destroy the world. God and God's wisdom in order to uh, perpetuate the existence of the world. To allow for atonement for those, uh, for those who do tshuva. So he does sneak in this idea that you get kapara if you do tshuva based on the Rambam. From the beginning of creation of the world, God set this date because you needed to have a day. This was the day, the day of Yom Kippur. After that day was originally, the first thing is God said, the 10th of Tishrei or whatever that means, that will be the day for atonement. After the fact, the day took on sanctity as well. The kibel, but what came first, if we had, we had to ask, what came first, the sanctity of the day of Yom Kippur or the atoning nature of the day of Yom Kippur? The Chinuch here says, it's the, sanct, the, the, sorry, the atoning nature comes first. Right? Really, the first thing was God said, we need a day for atonement, sort of arbitrarily chose Yom Kippur. And then, and then uh, later on, the, so to speak, the, the day of Yom Kippur also becomes a day with Kedusha Sayom, with where you can't work, you can't eat, other things. Uh, has other right, various sacrifices that are brought in, but the first thing was the atonement. This will be important later because we'll see some theories of the atonement of Yom Kippur will be that it really runs through the day. The sanctity of the day, the nature of the day is what does it. Here, the, I mean, you could say the nature of the day does it, but it's, it's the, the original nature of the day was purely as an atoning agent. Everything else is an add-on. The core of the atonement is the day itself atoning because God needed a day to do this, uh, this, to do this atonement, to give people something they don't deserve. Um, and that, then afterwards, it became sanctified. The day itself has the capacity to atone, even without the sacrifices, because remember, the sacrifices are secondary. The world was created. God created a day for atonement. Then he sort of, you know, threw in the sacrifices later on, threw in the, the, the sanctity of the day. But the first thing is this idea of an atoning day. So in this sense, really, the way, how does Yom Kippur work as an atoning agent? Well, originally, it was just divine will. Divine fiat, God decided, I'll atone for everyone, we'll arbitrarily choose a day. The other aspects of Yom Kippur don't explain the atonement. They're all, you know, uh, they're all secondary to it. They all came after the fact. And at the end of the day, it's just, or, or I guess, or the beginning of the day, the beginning of the creation of the world, God just decided, Yom Kippur, whatever, you know, regardless of what the day's about, the main thing it's about for our purposes is atonement, and that comes straight from God. So that's one view, and we saw different variations of this earlier, the Sheetah of Rebbe, in the Gemara, which the Gemara seems to think is actually the opinion of the Mishnah too, and you could have read the Gemara's concluding that everyone agrees about this, that Yom Kippur alone atones, although Ramam goes in a different direction, but you can read the, the, that as, the, as the, the point, right? Yom Kippur alone atones for everything. There's no need for truth. There's no need for anything. We could, we could uh, the Chinuch himself doesn't go this far, but if we combine the Chinuch's view that Yom Kippur first was a day of atonement, and then everything else came along, if you combine that with the view that you don't need Shuvah either, then this becomes even more extreme, right? It's purely 100% just divine will that happened to be, you know, this day, because any day, whatever day it would be, it would be Yom Kippur. And uh, all the other aspects of the day are irrelevant, and even tshuva is irrelevant in, in this potential view. Um, so that's, that sort of theoretically is one extreme. And if we go to the other extreme, we could say that really the day of Yom Kippur has, in, in essence, has nothing to do with it. And you'll probably remember this is the view of the Me'iri, um, taking the Ramam a step further than the Ramam himself. I don't know how much time we'll spend on reading this, but again, everyone hopefully has this inside. Source number two, uh, the Me'iri, both in the Sugi, we spent some time on Adaf Pehe, uh, just quote a couple of key lines uh, where he's paraphrasing the Mishnah. He says, The only way something atones is with Tshuva. There's no independent atoning agent. All, all atonement works through Tshuva, through repentance, through human initiative. And he explains, what do you do with all the Gemaras? What do you do with Gemaras that talk about the Davium Kippur atoning or the Sir Mishdaleach atoning, even without Tshuva? It's all not true. It's all, it's all not what it sounds like. Really, even when you say the Sir Mishdaleach atones without Tshuva, it means there's still a little bit of Tshuva. There has to be Tshuva in order for there to be atonement. And just continuing inside in this piece, uh, uh, the last couple of lines, 
Um, when even when we say right, if you do a major sin, you do tshuva. That's tola. That's only sufficient to suspend the sin, but you still haven't fully atoned for it until Yom Kippur. What does that mean? It's not that Yom Kippur is doing anything. Yom Kippur is sort of allowing for the fulfillment of the tshuva, for the full manifestation of that tshuva. Really, you don't need Yom Kippur. If you had full tshuva, you wouldn't need Yom Kippur at all. If you have Yom Kippur, what Yom Kippur does is it facilitates the tshuva. Uh, and why? God doesn't close off uh, his, uh, his canopy. God doesn't lock the door in front of tshuva ever. Tshuva will always break through if it's strong enough. If so, what's the function of the day of Yom Kippur? Or source number three, what's the function of the Seer Zazel? So the Meiri quotes the Rambam in source four, and it's not 100% clear what the Rambam means, but uh, definitely if the Rambam means what the Meiri says he means, the, the, the direction is the point of the Seer Mishtaleach, this idea that you can send your sins with a scapegoat out into the desert. We're going to lame this on Yom Kippur, right? The uh, Hisvadalav is called Benos Israel. You confess all your sins, you put them on the goat, and then you send the goat out. So what is that? How does that work? The, the, the sins are some you know, physical thing you can put on a goat and send away. Rabbi says, no, it doesn't work like that at all. Um, let's read the end of source four. You can't like pass off your sins from one person's back to another. All of these stories, meaning even the, the story that, that was carried out in practice of the Sir Azazel, they're all Mishalim. They're all parables, meaning you do them, they happen, but they're there to teach you something. There's, there, there's symbolism there you're supposed to learn from. Lehavi mora binafsham, to bring fear into people's hearts. until people are inspired to repent. The symbolism here is we've taken our sins and we sent them with a goat far out into the desert. We sent our sins away. It doesn't actually do anything metaphysically. What it does, it does something psychologically. It helps impress upon us the significance, the importance of sending away our sins. That's what the Seer Azazel is. The Me'iri, at least that's one way of reading the Rambam, the Me'iri takes that a step further and says, yeah, and even when, when the Gemara says that the Seer Mishtaleach is Mechaber for minor Averos, without Tshuva, it doesn't mean without Tshuva, it means you have some Tshuva, you don't have too much Tshuva, a little bit of Tshuva will get you that. More Tshuva will atone more, and that the goal of the Seer Azazel is to strengthen your Tshuva, is to inspire you to do Tshuva, as he says, the, the scapegoat is a cause of atonement, but the atonement itself is tshuva, is repentance. So at the end of the day, it's all about inspiring repentance, and that's what leads to tshuva. So on the Meiri's view, and again, the Rambam doesn't quite go this far in his halachic works, but uh, the Meiri seems to take the Rambam this far. At the end of the day, Yom Kippur really does nothing. The whole, right, it's the opposite of what we saw in the, in the Chinuch. The Chinuch is like Yom Kippur, there's this essence of Yom Kippur that is all about atonement. And, you know, he says maybe you need, you need tshuva as well. Others would say you don't. But like uh, we saw in the Tzayishanim, you wouldn't need atonement. But the point is, the day of Yom Kippur has this essence of atonement that it just sends out into the world and carries out. For the Me'iri, Yom Kippur does absolutely nothing on a metaphysical plane. What it does, it's very important what it does, but what it does is inspire people to do tshuva. And at the end of the day, it's the people doing the tshuva. So that's, those are a couple of views with, I'd say, you know, opposite extremes on the nature of the day of Yom Kippur. Does it have zero role, or does it have this, uh, you know, this uh, uber atoning role that's very much built in, that we saw at least part of that view in the Chinef and Source 1, and part of it we saw previously in the uh, Tosos Yishani. Let's move from that to some middle view. I think probably the more, the, you know, the view in the middle probably has some, uh, some value to it as well, something to speak for it, which is, it's not just this, like, Yom Kippur atoning agent. And it's not, it's not that the day does nothing. The day definitely does something. But the question is, how does the day do it? So it, is, it, is there like essence of atonement in Yom Kippur? That's one view. But alternatively, there may be other factors, other aspects of Yom Kippur that are the cause or the, you know, the basis uh, uh, of the functionality of the atonement, the things that, that make the atonement happen. So what might I be talking about? Let's start with source number five here. This is the Sifra. Sifra here is going to entertain a lot of different possibilities as to what you do to get atonement on Yom Kippur. What sort of is a necessary uh, aspect of atonement on Yom Kippur? Let's read through again, page two here, source five. Um, and it starts with the Psukim. It's sort of quoting little snippets of the Psukim, uh, the Psukim in Emor. Right? Mikra Kodesh, Yom Kippur is a, a holy day. Yom Kippurim, who 
the Day of Atonement, Dini Semis Nafsho Sichem, you should, you should uh, uh, make yourself suffer, meaning fast, Ki Kippurimu, because it's atoning. You don't do any work, Ki Kippurim, because it's uh, atoning. Fine, so now we're going to try to explicate this. I would have thought, I would have thought Yom Kippur only atones if you do three things. Number one, you make it a holy day. We'll talk about what exactly that means in a second, but somehow you treat it like a yantif or like a like a day, a holy day, and you fast, and you don't do work. Where do we get these three things from? From the Pasuk, Mikra Kodesh. That's what the Pasuk says. It says, it's a holy day, don't eat, and don't do work. So I would think those are necessary, because it's a day of atonement. So if you treat it like a yantif and fast and don't do work, then you get atonement. If you don't treat it that way, if you don't treat Yom Kippur like Yom Kippur, you don't get atonement. I would have thought that was the case. So, how do I know? that even if you don't treat it like a yantif, and even if you do work on Yom Kippur, and even if you don't fast, how do I know that it still atones? Talmud Lomar, Yom Kippurim. It doesn't say because it's Kippurim, because it's atoning. It says because it's Yom Kippurim. It's a day of atonement, implying that somehow the day, uh, the day itself works around these things. It's the day rather than these aspects of the day. It's the day itself that atones, even if you lack these things. The Yom in the Yom Kippurim, Mechaper, Ela, Imakarbanos, Similarly, I might have thought, Yom Kippur only atones if you bring the proper sacrifices. I might have thought Yom Kippur only atones for those who repent, not for those who don't repent. Uh, uh, sorry, I skipped. Uh, right. I think you need sacrifices and the goats. There's no sacrifices, there's no scapegoat. It still atones. How do we know that? It's the day of atonement. The day is doing the atoning rather than the sacrifices. Now, finally, another point. I might think, right, once we have so much focus placed on the day, the day atones, regardless of whether you're fasting, regardless of whether you're doing malacha, regardless of whether you treat it like a yantif, regardless of whether you bring the sacrifices or not, I might have thought, it atones for you whether you do tshuva or not. The dinhu, and it makes sense. Chatas v'asher mechaprim, v'yom kippur mechaper. Ma chatas v'asher yom kippur mechaper. Ela shavim. I feel before mechaper mechaper. Ela shavim. The logical answer to that would be no. You need to do tshuva in order to get the atonement of yom kippur because it's just like other sacrifices. Chatas and asham, where uh, we're assuming here uh, in the sifra, you need to do tshuva in order to get atonement. So too on yom kippur, you need to do tshuva in order to get atonement. So we raise five different factors that may be necessary for atonement in addition to Yom Kippur, right? What are the five? Fasting, not doing work, calling it a holy day or treating it like a holy day, uh, bringing the sacrifices and doing tshuva. At the end of the day, the first four factors are all irrelevant. You get tshuva, you get kapar without any of them. But the last factor, the tshuva, is, according to this, this source, is a necessary ingredient. So I think the question we've been asking uh, the question we've been asking ourselves of what exactly triggers the atonement, this source is very important. Now, not everyone's going to agree with this. We even saw some, in the previous year, we saw some Kamaras that adopted part of this or argued on part of this or, you know, in different ways. But to the extent that one, that one looks at this source, you might read this source as saying what is, in essence, the core, uh, the core of the atonement, right? What causes the atonement of Yom Kippur? Is it just the day itself? Is it the tshuva as well? Is it treating the day like Yom Kippur, you know, in one form or another, if not, fa uh, not uh, fasting, not doing malacha, uh, treating it as holy, we'll talk about what that is exactly in a second, is it the sacrifices? And at the end of the day, what comes out is it sounds like it's primarily the day, and it seems like there may be this condition of tshuva as well, but the other factors, at least at first glance, sounds like they don't really matter, because even if you don't fast, and you do work, and you don't treat the day like Yom Kippur, and you don't bring the sacrifices, you still get atonement, so it would imply from this source uh, that uh, that they're not a part. They're not a, a part of the function of the atonement. Although we're going to complicate that in a second. But first, any questions? Any thoughts? I'm like really bothered by the chinook, and I can't get over it. Um, the idea that like atonement was there from the get go, 
I guess I have a few questions. My first question is, does that mean that God automatically assumed people would sin? Sounds like that, right? I mean, but yeah. but you but maybe that's uh, maybe maybe that's a reasonable assumption if God knows that uh, humans are flawed and uh, we were created anyway, so you wanted to have a plan in place for how to how to uh, solve the problem. Yeah, it just makes it makes the whole garden of even thing feel even more rigged if that's the case. But I guess my other question is then are there moments where um, if we have this kind of like primordial um, day of Kapara, when people can actually transcend that, like like Sodom or like you know the flood, are there are there points where like you can't get to Shuva even with this day? I guess I'm I'm just trying to sort of put this in the context of text, and it's like really mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, so the Chinuch <laughs> does say that he needs Shuva, right? He follows the Rambam on that. You can't. Okay. He doesn't believe in freebies fully. I, I thought it's possible to combine the Chinuch's primordial, you know, uh, atonement-centric view of Yom Kippur. You could probably combine that with, really, what the Gemara on, on Daf Pehe sounds like it's saying, what the Tosu Shanim says it's saying, that you actually don't need Shuva. If you put those together, then you have a real doozy, right? The only thing that matters is the day. And in fact, it's the day, it's the, the essence of Yom Kippur, which is atoning essence. And that came before the rest of it. The rest of Yom Kippur is the add-ons. But the main thing yeah, is... Yeah, yeah. Right? You put those together, you have an extreme, an extreme view that's all about that factor. So that's, I thought, the phoenix uh, was helpful for that. But yeah, definitely, um, you know, as usual, the extreme positions in some ways are very logical and, and make a lot of sense. And then you think about them in context and you say, wait, like, how does that fit with all these stories in, in the Torah? And um, what about all these other factors? They make no difference at all. Does that seem right? So I think those are questions you can ask. And I think that's why we'll see a lot of other views that are somewhere in the middle that have a more complex view where, where multiple factors work together. Um, other, other questions or thoughts? Okay, so, um, so we, we, two things. So first, we, we need to do two things on the source. First, you know, I think the, the simple reading of the source is what we just said, that it raises five things that may be co-requisites for atonement along with the day, and it rejects all of them but tshuva, and you might say, okay, so it's just the day in itself. You know, maybe this is like the chinuch, the day's inherent essence is atoning, as long as you have tshuva, something like that. An alternative way of understanding, and we're going to flesh out some of these options, is that maybe, that, you know, maybe even in the conclusion, it's not just the day itself. It's one of these aspects of the day that actually contribute to the atonement. Meaning, when, you know, in the, in the sifra here, there were, the assumption was, let's say the assumption was you can only get atonement on Yom Kippur if, you fast. The assumption there is, number one, fasting is an important component of the atoning nature of Yom Kippur. And the assumption number two, it's absolutely ma'akev, right? You can't get the atonement without the fasting. But, so we reject that second point. We reject, right? We say it is false that it's, it's absolutely necessary to fast to get the atonement. But maybe we still retain that first assumption that fasting actually does play a role in the atonement, or maybe the nature of the day as a fast day plays some role in the atonement. And we'll, we'll try to flesh that out for, for each of these options, whether it's not just Yom Kippur as an atoning day, but maybe Yom Kippur as a day where you can't do work or where you have to fast or where you're supposed to do tshuva or, uh, or, uh, uh, or, yeah, or, or, or where you're supposed to bring karbanos. In each of, those, you know, each of those aspects of the day of Yom Kippur, we might say they still are, are what's channeling the atonement. They're still part of the mechanism of atonement, as it were. So that's one thing we're going to sort of hold that in the back of your heads. We're going to look at a few different places where, that, places where that plays itself out. Before we do that, I just wanted to spend two minutes looking at this idea of what does it mean to say kro'o uh, mikra kodesh, or asao mikra kodesh, rather, to make Yom Kippur a, a day of holy calling. You know, you would think you only had atonement if you make it into a mikra kodesh. What does it mean to make something into a mikra kodesh? So uh, as you'll see, there's a lot of different views on this. So let's quickly skim through them. Source number six, Rashi. Lokro, and this is based on parallel gemars that cite this sifra. Lokro mikra kodesh, lo kiblo bibirchosav, lomer mikadesh yisrael v'yom kippurim. You didn't accept the day with the brachos, let's say the brachos of Kiddush, or maybe the brachos in Shimon Esrei, whichever brachos you have to assert that this is Yom Kippur. So, right, so that, that's maybe what it means to call it a mikra kodesh, is literally to call it a, a yantif, to call it a mikra kodesh in davening or in, 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 uh, in Kiddush. That's one view. Tosvos. Uh, disagrees. Lo kro mikra kodesh. Pirish v'kuntrish. Lo kibla v'vichosa. Lo mer mikadish yisrael yom kippurim. But you didn't say that bracha. The ein nera presumably in da in shvonesra. Let's say ein nera doesn't seem right. Do ashkichan birkos 
brachos uh, yom to the help of the araisa. Since when is the specific shmonesrei text of yom kippur a biblical requirement? We generally assume that's the rabbanan, right? Uh, you know, the, the, there's a mitzvah to daven in general that's the araisa. The specific text of what you say is rabbinically mandated. So if it's only rabbinically mandated, how would the sifra have had a hamamina have had the thought? that maybe you need to say the text of davening and say today's Yom Kippur in order uh, to get atonement. There's no mitzvah the Raisa to do that at all. That's all a later rabbinic enactment. That's not original, the idea of the, the, that text of davening. So that can't be. Rashi has to be wrong, says Tosvos. It's the idea that you acknowledge that today's Yom Tif or that today's Yom Kippur, and uh, historically we know from the Mishnah in, uh, in Rosh Hashanah, that uh, there were times when there was a whole debate as to when Yom Kippur was. And we, uh, not only in the Mishnah, also in the medieval period, where Sajigom was involved in some debates. When's Yom Kippur? Big machlokas, different days, different calendars. So you have to get it right. You have to admit that today's Yom Kippur uh, and not do work for that reason. So there's two different things here. One is not doing work, period. That's necessary. It's also necessary to not do work, not just because you're lazy, but to not do work on Yom Kippur because you actually accept that this day is Yom Kippur and you, uh, you do not do work accordingly. So that's another view. That's the view of Rainer Tom here. Source number eight, Tosfos elsewhere, Kromik or Kodesh. Maybe it's not just about refraining from work. Maybe it's about wearing nice clothes, honoring the day of Yom Kippur in one form or other. Right? Uh, so maybe that's what it is. There's a whole discussion within Rashi. Right? Remember, Tosfos asked on Rashi. Rashi, how can you say Kromik or Kodesh means to mention Yom Kippur and Dominic and say today's Yom Kippur uh, if Dominic itself isn't a Raisa? So there's different ways of answering for Rashi. The Ritva suggests the Fiza Nilmo de Birkus Mados Minatora. Well, maybe, maybe we see from here, maybe Rashi holds that Davening on Yom Kippur actually is Doraisa. This is a radical view. Most people don't believe this. It seems to go against all our assumptions about Brachos, that 99% of Brachos are Dirabanan, except for benching, maybe a couple others. But the Ritva says maybe, uh, maybe we can say that uh, the Davening, the Brachos of Davening on Yom Kippur are actually Doraisa, according to Rashi. You might extract that from the Sheiltos, Dravachai, uh, a late Gaonic work that uh, Rashi uh, used sometimes. He says, There's, It says there's a mitzvah, there's a chiyav, sounds like a biblical obligation, to make Kiddush on Yantif and Shabbos. So maybe you can extrapolate from that, just like there's a mitzvah to make Kiddush. You know, there's basically the same mitzvah or a different aspect of the same point is to also mention Yantiv and Davening. That's possible. Alternatively, the Ramban has this idea, mitzvah Yisrael, he covets There's a mitzvah to gather in the in the house of God, whether the temple or a shul, uh, on, on Yantiv. And maybe that's what it means. Maybe it means gathering for religious purposes. Maybe that's a biblical mitzvah. Whatever exactly Kromik or Kodesh is, again, we have this, it sounds like we say, uh, you know, maybe that's a relevant part of Kapara. Maybe it's even Ma'akev. Maybe even if, if you don't, Call Yantif, call Yom Kippur, a holy day. You won't get your atonement. Kamash Malan, we conclude you still get your atonement without calling it that holy day. But then we're left with the secondary question of, okay, but is the sanctity of the day of Yom Kippur, calling it a holy day, does that still play some role in the atonement? And that we have yet to answer. Um, fine, source 12 is, we're not going to have time to go through this, is the Gemara that basically quotes and builds on uh, the source source fives on the sifra, um, so we're not gonna we're not gonna go through that in in detail. But let's just uh, you know. It, it, but basically, it shows that the that that source makes it into the Gemara, and actually the Gemara sort of ties that into the question of Rebbe um, versus the Chachamim in terms of of uh, Rebbe's position that you don't need uh, tshuva either uh, for Yom Kippur to atone. But let's put that on the side just for reasons of time. Source number thirteen, the Karvan Aron, a commentary on the sifra. Um, and let's let's see uh, let's see what he says in terms of interpreting the idea of the day of Yom Kippur as opposed to these sacrifices. Right, the Sifra we, we read said, how do I know that even though there's no sacrifices, the day itself atones, the day itself without the sacrifices. Right, think about what does it say in the pasuk? It says uh, it says don't do uh, right, Yom Kippur is a holy day, and don't do work and don't eat uh, key Yom Kippur because it's Yom Kippur. So the key is Nesinas Tam Lakodim. It gives the reason for what came before, right? That's usually what key does. It's a because. So why should you not? 
why should you not eat and why should you not do work and why should you treat yantif like a yantif? Uh, it's because it's a, it's a holy day because of the atonement. If the atonement was totally through the sacrifices, not through the day itself, then we shouldn't have said, don't do work on Yom Kippur because you get atonement. That wouldn't make sense if the atonement was tied to the sacrifices rather than the day. No, this, the, the atonement is tied to the day itself. That's why uh, the explanation for why to fast and why not, not to do work on Yom Kippur is because of the atonement. Because the atonement itself is tied to the day, not the day qua sacrifices, but the day qua the day itself. And then he says, um, finances, it's the base. It's not the base of uh, just that it happens to be you get atoned on Yom Kippur, but you get atoned through Yom Kippur. Fine. So that's an important factor for reading that Sifra, this focus on the key, on the, the why, right? That we're saying, don't do work, don't eat, uh, treat it like a holy day because you get atonement, meaning the atonement is actually tied to these factors. And again, as we said before, even if at the end of the day we don't require, uh, we don't require that you uh, treat it like a yantif and fast and not do work in order to get your atonement, even though it's not absolutely required, maybe there's still some, some way in which the atonement stems from those aspects of Yom Kippur. So let's, let's start looking through this. So let's first look into the possibility that Inui, the suffering, the fasting and suffering of Yom Kippur is responsible in some way for the atonement, even though it's not an absolute, absolute uh, requisite category, but maybe it's somehow tied to it. But was there a question first or thoughts? Okay, um, so yeah, so let's, let's think about Inui, this idea of suffering. Again, look at the Pasuk, source 14. And so the Pasuk says, this is the, this is the Pasuk in Akremos, but you have a parallel Pasuk in Emor. You have this rule. Seventh month, tenth day, on Yom Kippur. Uh, you know, uh, uh, make, your, make yourself suffer. Meaning you fast. Don't do work. Right, all people. Because on this day, God will atone for you. So you should make yourself suffer. You should pain yourself by fasting on Yom Kippur. Why? Because uh, God's going to atone you. Uh, God's going to atone for you. Right? So it sounds like there's the causal connection. And let's look at some commentaries that make that exact point. Uh, so the Malbim here, Torah Mitzvah, So, Right, the straightforward meaning, where does the atonement of Yom Kippur come from? It comes from the sacrifices of the day. Atonement always comes from sacrifices. Uh, it's, a, it's a temporal thing, right? On Yom Kippur. Um, but, uh, and then he gives some examples. This idea that you should suffer, you should fast, because this is a day of atonement. Similar point to what we saw in the carbonara. Why are you saying because? There's no correlation between the sacrifices. And if the sacrifices are the cause for the atonement, there's no connection between the atonement and the fasting. The fact that we're saying fast because it's a day of atonement shows that the atonement stems from the fasting. Uh, so, the day itself atones. For that reason, you should fast. And you should lower yourself on that day. And so fasting is part of the ambiance, the proper ambiance of Yom Kippur. That's a day of repentance. It's a day of, of, of lowering oneself, uh, debasing oneself in a sense. And, uh, and that's why you get the atonement. Because, you know, it's, you know, people, when you make yourself low, you're, you get atonement. You can, you can uh, fix the wrongs you did when you asserted yourself too strongly or something like that. So that's, that's one way in which the suffering of Yom Kippur plays a real role here. Um, similarly, towards Mima, source 16, Mefarish Bayom Hazeh, Bayom Atzmo, the day itself, rather than the sacrifices. Again, this idea that we say fast because it's a day of atonement, that implies the atonement stems from the nature of the day as a fast day. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, one of the uh, uh, early Pashtanim among the Rishonim, Ach Be'asor, the Fisha Kolachag in Mikrai Kodesh, what does yantif mean usually? Yantif means you eat, you drink, you're merry. That's usually what yantif means. For Yom Kippur, the Torah says, ah. It says, but. But on the 10th of the 7th month, you do something different. What do you do different? Instead of eating, you fast. It's the opposite. 
It's the opposite, but that's still the that's still the manifestation of the holy day. Right? Holy days can involve enjoyment. Holy days can involve suffering. Those are different types of holy days. Yom Kippur is the outlier, the less common type. There's a lot of sacrifices. A lot of sacrifices, but also a lot of suffering. That's what Yom Kippur is all about. Because it's a day of atonement, and that's why you should suffer in order that God will be able to atone for your sins. Meaning the suffering is the cause of the atonement. etc. etc. The point is, he's very explicit. The suffering is the cause for the atonement. Now, what do you do with the, the uh, Sifra and the Gemara that you don't actually need to fast? The point is, even if you technically yourself don't fast the fact that it's a day of fasting that that's the nature of the day even if someone misses out on that you still uh you know you still catch the the broader impact of the day which atones because of its uh suffering uh aspect fine one one final source we'll look at that i think drives this home very nicely source 19. uh and i think we saw this in an earlier share the the four categories of atonement and these are the these there's more than four categories of atonement in judaism but these are the four primary categories of atonement that still apply nowadays, that are not based on the temple, that are not based on sacrifice. There's four categories of atonement. If you sin, a minor sin, a positive commandment, you violate a positive commandment, you do tshuva, tshuva is the first category of atonement, you get atonement immediately. Category two, a negative commandment, more severe. Tshuva suspends the sin. Yom Kippur brings the full atonement. Fine, that's category two. So we have a, we have tshuva, repentance. We have Yom Kippur, category three, and pay close attention here. Avar al If you violate higher order negative uh, commandments that involve excision or the death penalty, and then you you do tshuva. That does that's not sufficient. So what do you need to get atonement? Tshuva biyom kippurim tolin. Right, tshuva, repentance, plus the day of Yom Kippur, suspend the sin. They maybe protect you from punishment, or maybe they partially atone. Vigisurin, and then suffering, the next category, but not just any suffering. Yisurin shebishar yimos hashana mimarkim. The suffering for the rest of the year, cleanse. They work together between tshuva, Yom Kippur, and suffering the rest of the year. That's enough to get rid of those major sins. Now, why are we saying suffering the rest of the year? Why are, why are we saying that? What does that even mean? What is it, which, the rest of the year as opposed to what? Yom Kippur? Or like a, the rest yeah. of the year except for Yom Kippur, right, yeah. exactly. But why, right, why, let's, if suffering is an atoning agent, so why are we saying, okay, tshuva, that atones, Yom Kippur atones, suffering 353 days a year, right, other than Yom Kippur. Why can't, Yom, why can't suffering and Yom Kippur count? Because it's inherently part of the day on Yom Kippur? Yeah, because why does Yom Kippur atone, according to this, this uh, Tosefta? Even when Yom Kippur atones, it's not the day in general. It's the day because of the suffering. It's the day because of the Inui, because of the fasting. So Shuva atones, Yom Kippur atones. How does it atone? Through the fasting, through the suffering. And also suffering the rest of the year, meaning the non, you know, we have to, it's a new category. We're not going to overlap with our old category. The suffering the rest of the year also atones. But Yom Kippur atones primarily, if we read it this way, primarily through the suffering aspect of, of Yom Kippur, through the fasting of Yom Kippur. That's really where it atones. Again, and this would still work if you personally don't fast, according to the way we, we poskin, because still the day is a day of fasting. You'd still channel that, even if you don't personally experience the, the suffering. But, uh, but it's the suffering aspect of the day. And then the final category, someone who makes a Chil Hashem, um, all of these things are not enough. Tshuva, Yom Kippur, suffering are, are enough to do it. Uh, you know, uh, Tshuva and Yom Kippur do a third. Suffering does a third. And then the last third is taken care of uh, by Misa. Umisa Mimareka Simei death cleanses. Death does the rest of the work. So death also atones. And if you wanted to come up with a unified theory of atonement here, what atones? So Tshuva number one, it's, you know, it's only going to be mostly unified. But then the other three, Yom Kippur, suffering and death, what do all of them have in common on this reading? None are specific to the day of Yom Kippur. That's true. Because None are specific to the day of Yom Kippur. What do they all have in common? 
they all have a lot of uh, suffering in common. Meaning we say, oh, Yom Kippur, suffering and death. But really it's just suffering, suffering, and suffering, right? Because it's the suffering, it's the fasting of Yom Kippur. It's the, it's the pain of the rest of the year. And then it's death. Death is obviously a painful thing uh, in, in most cases, or maybe it's like inherently definitionally painful. So on this view, and what about tshuva? Tshuva is not suffering. Well, you might say tshuva is less an atoning aspect on its own, and it's more of a prerequisite, right? Because without, without uh, tshuva, without repentance, maybe you can never get atonement. So on this view, you could really read this Tosefta as the unified theory of Jewish atonement is suffering. It's very, uh, it's beautifully lacrimose. And uh, for some people, I guess that's a good thing. For some people, not. But uh, very, you know, uh, being, to be a Jew is to suffer. And uh, maybe I'm being a little glib about this, right? But, but at least it's possible to read this Tosefta as saying that atonement, it can always be chalked up to suffering of one form or another. And again, that fits very well with this theory that Yom Kippur, the atoning aspect of Yom Kippur, is primarily that of suffering. Let's jump to source 21 on page 5, an important Gemara in Tanis about Yom Kippur. Uh, and this is usually famous more for the other half of the Gemara, but we're going to focus on the Yom Kippur half. There were no happier days for the Jewish people than Tubav and Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, excuse me, we're going to skip Tubav for now. Um, you can have a share on that uh, 10 months from now or something. Um, so why Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur has atonement and uh, or forgiveness. Uh, uh, forgiveness and uh, foregoing, another term for forgiveness, basically. Yom Kippur has a lot of forgiveness because, or and, it's the day that the second set of luchos were given. So just read that Gemara, you're like, what, what's going on here? Is it, are these two separate things, right? There's, a, there's forgiveness and there's luchos? Okay, very nice. Is, we're not, is there a connection between the two? Is like luchos are about forgiveness somehow? to tie into the details of the story. What's going on here? So Rashi says, Moshe broke the luchos on Shavas Ratamas. That's what Mishnah and Tanis says that. And then, uh, then he came back down with the next set on Yom Kippur, 40 days later, with a little, uh, a couple extra days thrown in. The Osoayom, Nikba, sorry, it's 40 days from Shavas Ratamas to, uh, how does the math work? Uh, Tammuz, and then Av, and then Elul. It gets you to Rosh Chodesh Elul, right? Shabbat Shabbat Tammuz, it's about 40 days to Rosh Chodesh Elul. Rosh Chodesh Elul, 40 days to Yom Kippur. Rashi, Rashi does the math somewhere. It's like a little day here and there. It works out. Also, Yom Nikbali Yom Kippur. That day was made Yom Kippur. The day that the Moshe came down to Lukos, we made that in the Day of Atonement. Notice how this is the opposite of the Chinuch we saw before, right? The Chinuch says, first was the Day of Atonement, then all this other stuff was added on here. Historically, Rashi, based on this Kamara, Rashi saying historically, first, it was the day of getting the luchos. Then we later made that Yom Kippur. Why? Paraphrase of the Pasuk, that, that's from that context. Right? They got to, God forgave the Jewish people for their sin. When they got the second luchos, it was not just getting the second luchos. You know, it's important to get the luchos and all that. But it's, it's also a new start, right? Because the, the Egal was a big sin. This was the re reparation of that rift, of that break. And that's the major day of Slicha, the day of getting the Lukos. And from then on, from then on, the 10th day of Tishri became the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, because of that historical resonance. So there's a connection here, Rashi tells us. And the Gvuras Ari uh, goes on a bit, of, a little bit of an analysis of here. Where he says, well, you know, if it's really about just getting the Torah, so it should have been on Shavuos, right? If like day of getting the Torah is inherently uh, like a Yom Kippur sort of thing, then Shavuot should be Yom Kippur, right? It should be Vav Sivan or Zion Sivan, whatever, however your math works. Um, but then he says at the end of the day, um, right, it's, it's both of them, right? It's both getting the Asar's Diros is one factor, but the, read the last few words, These two factors work together, meaning it's, for Rashi, one sort of explains the other. For the Grisari, there are two factors. Getting the Torah is important, and we want to tie that to Yom Kippur. And getting actual forgiveness is important, and those two somehow work together. Um, so maybe there's a theme of getting the Torah, of receiving the Torah, that like a foundational aspect to this, um, foundational not to the creation of the world, but foundational to the Torah, right? You get the Torah, at the same time that you get the Torah, you get the Luchos, you also um, have like the fail-safe, right? The what do you do when you mess up and need atonement, maybe that's built in as well. So maybe the, the, uh, the Kabbalah Satorah aspect 
of Yom Kippur is, uh, is part of what yields the atonement here as well. Interesting idea uh, from this Gemara that the Gros Ari uh, uh, leans in on. Um, and the Abarbanel has a slightly different angle, emphasizes a different thing here in that story of, of receiving the Torah. See Bahash Haravias, part of a longer discussion. We actually saw that source, I think, in the first year. Um, he says Moshe sat in the Nikras Atzur. Uh, we know this uh, discussion in, what is it, uh, Shmos Perakaf uh, Gimel, is it in Kisisa? God taught Moshe the 13 attributes of mercy. That happened all right around Yom Kippur, all tied to the Luchos. That became the day of great atonement of, great, of Yom Kippur. So the original, the founding moment was Hashem taught Moshe the Yom Kippur, the, uh, taught him how to say Slichos. And uh, the original, so on this view, the original Slichos was on, on uh, Yom Kippur. I think I've seen other views that the original Slichos was on Rosh Chodesh, uh, Elul, which works well for Spartan. But uh, any, in any event, so that's maybe what it is. It's the, the receiving of the Torah, again, tied to the Yom Midos, tied to this idea of forgiveness. And again, we can say, maybe it's not just a coincidence, maybe the founding of the Torah, the Torah was founded with the knowledge that people will sin and that uh, we'll need to work around that. Outside, quickly, we'll mention a couple of other options. Um, we saw in a previous year the idea that, I think last week, we saw that uh, the view that Yom Kippur only is mechaper during the day, not during the night hours. The day of Yom Kippur itself is mechaper only during the day hours, and maybe that's because Yom Kippur is like a pseudo carbon. It's like as if you're a pseudo simish It's as if you're bringing the scapegoat on Yom Kippur, and you're only allowed to bring that during the day. So Yom Kippur will only serve as this virtual simish during the hours of the day. This will be a way in which Yom Kippur atones through the sacrifices. Again, even if you don't bring the sacrifices, you're still atoning through the sacrifices. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you may also connect that to the idea of, of Mikra Kodesh, tying it to the, you know, uh, marking the day, because, you know, that sort of the whole, the whole sanctity of the day uh, is tied to the, to the process. You might say that the, the Kippur Yom Kippur is, is about the, the sanctity of the day, uh, marking the day, and if you think that the kapara is secondary to the kedushas ayom, meaning first it was yom, it was uh, a yantiv, and then it became yom kippur. I don't mean like historically. I mean like uh, logic in logical order rather than chronological order. Right? If you think against the chinuch, if you think that the nature of the day being a yantiv came first, and then the kapara aspect came second, then you might say that in a sense the 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 sanctity of the day, including not doing malacha, including calling it mikra kodesh including possibly even the Karbanos, maybe the, the sanctity of the day is what's channeling the atonement as well. But one final approach, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go through and then open up for a couple questions or discussion, is that maybe, and if you recall, this, the Sifra really liked Shuva, right? Of the five possible conditions that you needed along with Yom Kippur, the one at the end of the day that made it was Shuva, the last one. And if you don't do Shuva, you don't get Kapara. Although, again, Rebbe and the Gemara seems to dispute that. And it sounds like the Gemara disputes that, but uh, uh, but at least in the Sifra, the idea that Shuba is necessary is a big is a big point. So how do you understand that? Is that like just you know it's sort of an external condition? You can't get atonement without Shuba. Maybe that's just like you know if you don't if you don't feel any remorse, if you don't actually repent, why would you ever get any atonement? That could be that could be that's one possibility. Uh, or you could say there's like a quantitative model, right? Shuba does a little bit of the atonement. And Yom Kippur does a little bit more, and they add up, and they do it, they get the job done together. Um, but what I'd like to explore is the possibility that it's not just like tshuva plus Yom Kippur. It's that Yom Kippur itself is a day of tshuva. The nature of Yom Kippur, it's not fundamentally a day of atonement, although it also is that. It's fundamentally a day of tshuva, a day of the opportunity of repentance, of returning to God, of repairing our relationship with God. And that's what leads to the atonement. The atonement is an outgrowth of the fact that the day itself is associated with repentance. And let's see some indications uh, in this direction. Uh, and we don't have too much time, so uh, we'll, we'll, read, we'll read pieces of this. The Torah's Chaim commentary on Shavuos, he says, he talks about how Chuba during the rest of the year is very nice, but it doesn't necessarily help you channel your Yom Kippur. It says, the Eno Mechaper, Yom Kippur only atones, Elaim Kain Ose Chuba, that I know, Yom Kippur only is Mechaper, you do Chuba, that we saw in the Sifra. Elam Kain Osachuva, Bo Bayom, on that very day, on Yom Kippur. If you do Chuva the whole year, you're like Mr. or Mrs. Chuva. All you do is Chuva, 
right? Yom Kippur, you have an off day. You're not, you don't do any tshuva on Yom Kippur. So you think, okay, you did your tshuva already. Yom Kippur comes in and knocks off the Averas. No, it doesn't work. You have to maintain a day of, of sanctity. You have to keep the day of Yom Kippur. Not to Malacha. Uh, you can't kick it. You can't reject Yom Kippur. And you have to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. So it's not clear how he reads the sources. That I mean, the, it seems like the you know we saw in the Sifra and, and the parallel Gemara and other sugyas. It seems like we reject this idea that you need a that you need to actually uh, uh, not do malacha. Right, the sugya of Bowie, we didn't look at that. Uh, we could have spent some time on it, but there is a there's a machlokas if you if you like reject Yom Kippur actively, you lose the atonement. But it seems like you don't need a you don't need to refrain from malacha on Yom Kippur to get the atonement. He seems to say you do. So that's it's a bit surprising on that. But I think the most surprising part is chuba the rest of the year doesn't matter. It's chuba on Yom Kippur. That's the quality that we need. Why? Presumably because I mean there's probably a multifaceted Yom Kippur atoning as, uh, aspect here, but I think maybe the most central one is Yom Kippur needs to be a day of tshuva. Yom Kippur is fundamentally a day of tshuva, and that's what leads to the atonement. If you don't have the tshuva on the day itself, you don't get the atonement. Rambam, jumping to the next underline. Just like when you bring a sacrifice, you bring a chatas, you need to do tshuva as part of the chatas, as part of the process. You can't like do tshuva beforehand and then like, I don't know, not, not think about it, not be, not be, uh, in tshuva mode and bring your chatas and it's good. No, there needs to be a tshuva as part of the chatas. That's why you do vidui on the chatas, the Ramam says, you, right? You do vidui on it as part of your tshuva process. You can't say, I did tshuva already, I'm good. You, the tshuva needs to be part of the sacrifice. The same thing, tshuva needs to be part of your Yom Kippur. If not, your Yom Kippur is as uh, invalid or as unsuccessful in providing atonement as a chatas without tshuva. Very, uh, very mechudish view, very surprising view. But again, it fits very well with this theme that the atonement of Yom Kippur stems from the, sanct uh, the, the day's nature, the day's identity as a day of repentance. Uh, my uh, my Rebbe of Rosenzweig has an extended essay where he talks about this. We'll just look at a snippet. Uh, he says, right, tshuva has a special aspect in the Sarasimei tshuva. The second paragraph here, precisely because the period of Sarasimei tshuva is triggered by the calendar, by the need to face judgment, the opportunity to begin a new year with intensified religious commitment, the focus and orientation of the tshuva is different, right? The tshuva of Yom Kippur is different qualitatively than the tshuva of other times a year. Second, one needs to address all previous transgressions at once, to the singular nature and ambition of Yom Kippur's tshuva process, and the effort to contend and confront all sins, one necessarily engages in a holistic, holistic reassessment uh, that includes but transcends individual halachic violations, right? So the tshuva of Yom Kippur itself is also qualitatively different. It's not, just, it's not like a piecemeal thing, okay, I did this of error, I fixed it, I did that of error, I fixed it. It's a holistic relational uh, a tshuva about, about one's relationship to God. More so, moreover, the tshuva of the period is linked to the central motif of total devotion to Hashem, right? Total commitment to God. That's accentuated on Yom Kippur, one day of pure spirituality. Humans vie with the angels on high, expressing absolute and single-minded religious commitment. The day of Yom Kippur is defined as about tshuva and about religious ambition. And that would fit very well with the idea that the atonement stems from that. It doesn't, it's not like some independent thing. Like, number one, it's nice to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. Hopefully that inspires you to do tshuva. Number two, unrelated. Oh, also Yom Kippur gives you this freebie of atonement. No, no, the two work together. The two work hand in hand. Because Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva, that's what triggers the atonement. Uh, and we can see this reflected also in different Rishonim and how they count the mitzvah of tshuva. Most Rishonim don't, well, it's not clear whether there's a mitzvah of tshuva or not. Tshuva might be an opportunity rather than a mitzvah. The Rambam doesn't really have a mitzvah of tshuva. The Rambam says the mitzvah of tshuva is if you do tshuva, you should say vidu, you should do it verbally, a verbal confession, which is not really saying there's a mitzvah. It's, not, it's like, like the Ramah says, when you divorce someone, you should do it by writing. You should do it by a uh, safer krisos. Right? So there's no mitzvah per se to get divorced. The point is the process of getting divorced involves a get krisos. Similarly here, it seems, there's no mitzvah to do tshuva. It's obviously very good and for a lot of reasons, but it sounds like there's no mitzvah to do tshuva. If you're going to do tshuva, you have to do it verbally. There's other ways of reading the Ramah too. We can have that another time. But some other Rishonim do count the mitzvah of tshuva. Interestingly, the, the chinuch has a mitzvah of what we call mitzvah's vidui achet, which is sort of a mitzvah of tshuva, but it's mostly about vidui because he's following the Rambam. And uh, usually he says, you know, it's, there's always, you can always fulfill this mitzvah. You can always do tshuva with vidui. And that's very easy to do. But what's harder to do is to violate it. How do you violate the mitzvah, the positive commandment of tshuva? Like any second you're not doing tshuva, you violated it? No. What does he say? 
the over al if you violate this mitzvah below his vada al chatav, biyom akipurim, if on Yom Kippur you don't say vidui, shehu yom kavua me olam l'slicha v'gapara, this day set for forever. And remember, the chinuch, this is the same chinuch who says it came first, the, the, the kapara asked it came first, it's set aside for forgiveness and atonement, bito asezeh. The only way to be mevatel, the positive commandment of, of tshuva, is to not do vidui on Yom Kippur. If the rest of the year, if you never do tshuva at all, all year, you don't do tshuva, you don't do vidui, you don't do anything, you show up in Yom Kippur, you do your tshuva, you have done, you have done enough tshuva to not, you know, to not miss out on the midst of tshuva. Um, whereas if you did tshuva every other day of the year and said vidui and you don't do it on Yom Kippur, you're mevatel yasei, because Yom Kippur is defined as a day of tshuva, and therefore one's expected to do it through with vidui, or else one violates the mitzvah. The shari tshuva, Rabbi Yonah, seems to have two different mitzvahs of of tshuva. One the rest of the year, one on Yom Kippur in particular. Again, it takes on a special nature. Um, source twenty eight here, the underline mitzvah asim yatar the higher adam is rucho lachsu rituva yom kippur. It's a special mitzvah to be inspired to do tshuva yom kippur. Purify yourself from all your sins before God. That's a mitzvah of tshuva. Notice the connection here. If you do tshuva on Yom Kippur, God will purify you from your sins. He's building on that connection. So maybe the whole idea of atonement on Yom Kippur is tied to, uh, to this tshuva process. And even the Rambam, we might read into the Rambam. Source 30, Yom Kippur was man tshuva lakol, yachid rabim, ketz mechil slichel Yisrael. Yom Kippur is the time of tshuva for everyone. It's the, uh, the time of forgiveness. Therefore, you have to do tshuva. We start the day, the day before. But the Ramam defines Yom Kippur as a day of tshuva based on the same Gemara we saw before in, uh, in Tanis. It's a day of slicho mechila. It's defined as a day of tshuva for everyone. And presumably, that's tied, one could argue at least, one that, that's tied to the idea that you get atonement on Yom Kippur. It's because it's a day of tshuva. So, this, uh, so let's just quickly summarize. The different views, the different perspectives as to what aspect of Yom Kippur is actually triggering, is actually bringing about the the atonement. And uh, so, just quickly, so the Meiri would say none of it. Yom Kippur is just inspiration. It actually has nothing to do with Kapara. The Kapara of Yom Kippur is really the Kapara of Tshuva in disguise. On the opposite extreme, you have the Chinuch, at least one understanding of the Chinuch, that really it's Yom Kippur has this built-in Kapara aspect from the beginning of time. And everything else about Yom Kippur is secondary, is, uh, you know, is a side thing. But the real, the core of Yom Kippur is this inherent atoning uh, feature. And then we have all sorts of ideas that it's a certain aspect, it's a certain part of Yom Kippur that atones. It might be the day of Yom Kippur, marking the holiday of Yom Kippur, the Kedush Yom, not doing work on it. That may in some way uh, contribute to the atonement in one way or another. Or maybe it's the korbanos. Maybe it's the sacrifices that you either are bringing or aren't bringing, but you're pseudo-bringing, you're as if bringing, that leads to the atonement. Or maybe it's the suffering. Maybe it's the pain of Yom Kippur, the fasting, that, that leads to it. Again, even if you think you don't need a fast to get the atonement, maybe it's that aspect of the day, the fasting aspect of the day that facilitates uh, a, a proper a return to God and maybe also uh, sets the stage for atonement. And... Uh, and uh, then we and we saw various proofs for that. And then we suggested maybe it's the tshuva. Tshuva not as an independent factor. Certainly not like the meiri. Tshuva has nothing to do with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur inspires you to tshuva. Really, it's all tshuva. No, tshuva is the core of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is all about tshuva, and that's why Yom Kippur atones because we do our part, we do our tshuva, and God responds by giving us kapara. So, and again, that that fits super well with the sefer that we saw. That if you don't do tshuva, you actually miss the boat. Again, that's controversial. Not everyone agrees about that. But if, you, if, missing tshuva, if missing tshuva means you miss the atonement, that would speak very well to the possibility that really Yom Kippur is all about, uh, is all about tshuva, and that's, what, that's where the atonement comes from. Uh, we'll take questions in a second, but we should all be zocha. We should all, be, uh, we should all merit to fulfill uh, uh, every, all of these perspectives, all these aspects of Yom Kippur, the tshuva, the, the fasting, uh, if, uh, if that's uh, healthy for us, the uh, not doing work on Yom Kippur, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, understanding the day, thinking about the karbanos uh, and, uh, and the, that core theme of tshuva to be zocha, to receive our own kapara for whatever sins we may have. We should all be zocha. Uh, any, and it's been wonderful uh, learning with everyone over these past weeks. Um, any questions or, or thoughts on, uh, on our, our lima today?
If not, that's also okay. That means, uh, that means I guess, everything, the, you know, all these understandings of Yom Kippur have crystallized. We're all, uh, we're all ready. Thanks, Rav Salomo. All right. Um, thank you so much to Rabbi Zakir for this year, for this entire, this entire series. Um, this is the last of our um, Elul classes. Uh, we've had a great five weeks running a bunch of different courses. Thank you so much to all of you for, for being part of it. Uh, we will be taking a few weeks off for the Chayim and then starting up again after Simfastar with a new slate of classes. Uh, between October and December, we're going to have 14 new classes coming out. Some of them are going to be October and November. Some of them are going to be shorter just for December. You can get information about all of those at drisha.org slash classes and go ahead and sign up for the ones that, uh, that you think you might be interested in. Um, that does include a few more classes with Rabbi Zakir in October and November. We've got what does the divine image look like perspectives from Chazal. And then in December, we have virtual reality and genuine humanity. Can they coexist? Um, two very timely topics. The first part of our focus for uh, this coming fall on topics having to do with human dignity. The second, uh, certainly relevant in light of all of us currently being an online share. Um, and uh, yeah, we hope that you will continue to learn with us. Um, but again, thank you so much to Rabbi Zukir. Thank you to all of you. Kumar Khatimatova, everyone.